The last reading this morning comes from John, or it comes from Luke chapter 15. I invite you to stand. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Have you ever run a distance race? Maybe it was a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon, or if you're a little crazy, a full marathon. Have you ever run a distance race? I mean, for me, a distance race is about a half a mile, and at that point, I'm out of breath. But if you've ever run a long distance, you know there's a a part in that run when you lose your lungs, when you just can no longer, you lose your air and it's so hard to run. Your, your feet are tired, your lungs feel like they're on fire, and you're running and you want to quit, you want to give up. But if you do, then you don't get that second wind. And when that second wind comes, the lungs just work better and the endorphins are released and suddenly that struggle becomes euphoric and the running becomes fantastic. Bless you. But if you were to stop before that second wind, you'd never get that great experience that euphoria of, of running the way we're supposed to run. I think many of us are in need of a second wind. We've been running the run of faith, the race of faith, and we've been running in a very difficult time. We live in a difficult time, you know that. We live in a time in this country when the economy is bad, the government has its frustrations, the war. There's also frustrations within our denomination. And it's not just ours. Every denomination is doing things that cause us to be frustrated. And then there's even frustration in the place where you're not supposed to have any, in church. I mean, we're supposed to be done. We're supposed to have our carpet. This echo's supposed to be gone. I'll tell you, every single day I get frustrated. 
And so we get tired. In fact, one commentator said about Americans in general, he said, you know, most Americans are simply in a bad mood. And it's right! Because we're frustrated, we're tired, that race is hard, our lungs hurt, our legs hurt. The temptation is to stop running before the second wind comes. The book of of Hebrews was written for Christians who wanted to, to give up, to stop running the race of faith. Let me read to you a few verses from the book of Hebrews that just highlights just the difficulty that they found themselves in. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from our faith. Or Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 8. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Or chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an evil, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Or chapter 10, verse 25. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some of you, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. In other words, he's writing to people who who are drifting away from the faith. He's writing to people who are falling away. He's writing to people who aren't attending church. Why? Because they're frustrated, they're tired, they're sick of running this race of faith. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to give them a word to give them a second wind so that they might continue to run and to run well. And that's where, we, that's where we're at today in our reading from the book of Hebrews chapter 12. These words are words that are meant to breathe life into us, to get us to stand tall and to run and to run hard in the midst of trials and tribulations. These words are the most appropriate words for us today. All of us, not just here, but throughout the whole country. They're words to give us strength to run. And so let's look at these words. And so you can turn your bulletins. And I can't wait for us to have Bibles in here so we can open up our Bibles. But right now, grab your Bible that's printed on your bulletin, right? To Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I'll tell you, after the service, take this bulletin home. Rip out that section and put it on your refrigerator and read it often because these words are meant to give you encouragement. So let me read to you again Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.
Now, in this passage, there are three things that we are called to consider, three things to think about, three things to do when we're tired. The first thing we're to do, the first thing we are to consider, bless you, the cloud of witnesses. Verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, if you know anything about the Bible and you see the word therefore, what do you say? What is it therefore? Right? So you look in the section before, Hebrews chapter 11, and you see the great cloud of witnesses. You see people mentioned such as Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, David, and all those Old Testament heroes who blazed the path of faith for us. Now the idea is, in this passage, is that we're to run a race, and in the stadium are all these people, Moses and Noah, and they're in the stadium watching us run the race of faith. That's why we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. But isn't that a little scary to think that, you know, Moses and Noah and Abraham are there cheering us on? It's a little scary to me because sometimes the way I run the run of faith is pretty slow. Sometimes I just can hardly even run. Sometimes I walk the run of faith. I imagine when Moses looks down at me running the run of faith, I imagine he wants to say, come on, Russ, get the lead out. But that's not what he's saying. These people are here to cheer us on, to encourage us, to say, keep going, you can do it. How many of you are familiar with Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon? Any of you, any of you race fans out there, running fans? Oh, I'm talking to Lutherans, that's right. We know about Starbucks coffee. We'll let the Presbyterians run. You must not have been around a lot of Presbyterians. They, they run all the time. Lutherans, we like our coffee. Hayward Field is a famous racetrack a running track. And in Hayward Field in Oregon, this is Nike, is right around there, you know. Um, some of the greatest races, long distance races, have occurred in that track. Some of the best times ever have occurred in this place. In fact, Nike Shoe Company has even released a running shoe called the Air Zoom Hayward, named after this track. Well, what's so special about this track isn't the track, and it's not where it's located. What happens is the people who attend the track meets are from Oregon. They run. That's what the Oregons do. That's why I'll never move to Oregon. <laughs> but these are people who know running, who love running, and they attend these events, attend these track meets, and they don't just cheer. They clap in unison. And they have cheers in unison to the same beat. 
And so when you're running this long-distance race and you're hearing cheers from a whole crowd of people who know running, who know that when the runner's running and they're at the most tired part, they're actually cheering the loudest. It does something. It gets them to run faster and stronger and harder. It, it's that image of, of uh, oh, what's that great movie? Uh, Chariots of Fire. When he throws the head back. Right? It's at that one moment when you have nothing left, you're able to throw your head back because the crowd is clapping in unison and cheering together in unison. And those words are causing them to run fast and strong and hard. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Are you tired of running? Guess what? There's a crowd of people. The people who've gone before you. And they're not saying, get the lead out. They're saying, go. You can do it. Run. People like Moses and Noah, David and Sarah. People who know how hard it is to run. People who have sinned. And know how much you need God's forgiveness. And they're cheering you on. That's what the writer to Hebrews is saying. Consider that crowd. And think about that crowd for a moment. It's not just Moses and Noah and the like. But it might be the pastor who baptized you. Who's with the Lord now or your confirmation teacher, or your Sunday school teachers, or that neighbor of yours, or friends, or parents, or grandparents, or aunts and uncles who are with Jesus. They're in that stadium cheering you on, saying, go, run, run. Sam, Isi, say, run. These people know what it's like to hurt and to struggle. But consider this cloud of witnesses encouraging you on. The second thing we are to consider is the weights that hinder our race. Verse 1 again. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Many of you have heard this sermon and heard pastors say, okay, you have to remember the ancient runners in the first Olympics. Did they run with any clothes on? No. I'm so glad we live today and not back then. But what was the idea? They thought that the clothes got in the way, the toga got in the way. You can't run with such a thing. Get rid of it. And so you've heard pastors preach sermons saying, look, the sin of your life, it entangles you. Get rid of it. You've heard that sermon, right? We've all heard that sermon. And they're right. I mean, sin wraps around us. It entangles us. It trips us up. And so these words are saying, get rid of it. But there's another weight that's even harder. There's another weight that makes the race terrible. 
It's a weight that takes the joy out of running the Christian life. And it's this kind of race, and I'll, I'll, or this kind of weight, and I'll explain it. Have you ever felt shamed or disvalued? That's a weight. The writer's saying, throw it down. God values you. Are you from an abusive or dysfunctional family? Are you eaten up with guilt? Throw it down. Those are weights. Get rid of them. You belong to God. You are loved. You are forgiven. See, the weights aren't just sin. The weight is guilt. The weight is, is those things that the, the devil loves to stick it to you and say, you're no good. You're not a good Christian. You're not a good runner. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, throw it down. Give it to Jesus. Because he has already taken care of it. And that's a terrible weight to bear. That's what David was saying in Psalm 32. When he said, blessed or happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven. David committed a lot of sins, we know that. But how happy was he when he realized, I'm forgiven. And don't you see, that's the purpose of confession and absolution. We don't start the church service to put you in a bad mood to say, oh, look at what a sinner you are, let's confess. No, we all know that we're sinners. Just trying to get ready for church is hard, especially with kids. I mean, poor children, I don't think they, I don't know how any of us actually have faith after being our childhood of being yelled at getting to church. These poor kids are going, I don't ever want to go to church again because I get yelled at all the way there. Only a few of you are smiling. I... We don't start a service to put you in a bad mood and say, oh, look at what a sinner you are. We confess, why? So we can get to the good part, the absolution, to say, leave it, throw it down, you're forgiven. God loves you. Don't let that weight of guilt drag you down. Pastor James Nestigan shares a story about an old pastor named Herman Preuss. How many of you know the name Preuss? You should. In the Missouri Synod, in the ALC, in the LCA, the Preuss families, I think they held position of president or bishop over every single Lutheran denomination in America. I mean, that's the one family. If you're a Preuss, immediate entrance into a Lutheran seminary. Doesn't matter which one. Old Herman Preuss, though, was visited by James Nestigan. And this old pastor said, you know, I love church service today, but during the confession, I forgot some of the sins that I wanted to confess during the service. Jim, will you hear my confession? And Nessigan said, sure I will. But I'm going to say the same words that I said to you this morning. I'm going to give you the absolution. I'm going to say you're forgiven in Christ. I already said it in the morning. And old Herman Preuss said, but will you say them again now? I love those words. I love hearing that my sins are forgiven. Say them again to me. 
And Jim Nestigan got up, stood in front of that pastor sitting, put his hand on his shoulder, and said, in the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. You are forgiven. Is there guilt that weighs you down? Is there shame that weighs you down? Are there burdens that weigh you down? The writer of Hebrews says, throw it down. Get rid of it. Put it at the foot of the cross. And let Jesus take care of it. So that your running with faith can be a race that's filled with joy. There's a third thing to consider finally in our passage. And that's to consider Jesus. And it's always about Jesus. Verses 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Every phrase here is so important. First, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Notice it doesn't say Christ. Why Jesus? To remind us that Jesus put on flesh. Jesus is human. Jesus knows what it's like to struggle in this world, to be accused, to be hurt, to be beaten down. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Sweet Jesus. Human Jesus. because he's the great high priest that can sympathize with your pain. Fix your eyes on him. Second, he's called the author and perfecter of our faith. Did you hear those words? Probably not in here, but (laughs) the author and perfecter of our faith. Guess what that means? You're not the perfecter of your faith. Isn't that good news? You don't have to make yourself perfect. That's what he does. You don't have to make yourself righteous. That's what he does. He's the one who's the perfecter of our faith. Not you, not me. Praise the Lord for that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the one who begins it, and the perfecter, the one who ends your faith. He's responsible, not you. Don't bear that responsibility of trying to make yourself perfect because that's what he does. That's not what you do. Finally, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, how can a cross be filled with joy? It's not. Except if you're dying to save someone you love. And any parent knows it. And anyone who loves someone else knows that if need be, you would joyfully trade places to save a daughter or a son or a friend. Don't you see? The joy of the cross for Jesus isn't the pain. It's you. You're his joy. 
You're why he died. That's the good news. That's the point. Are you tired of running the race of faith? The simple answer is look to Jesus. He understands. He is the one who's the perfecter of your faith. You are his joy. He wants to encourage you in that race. If you feel alone, Jesus is simply saying, look at me. Not me, but look at Jesus. Look at me, Jesus says. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you're discouraged of your sin, Jesus says, look at me. I'm the Lamb of God. Your sins are forgiven. Let the guilt go. You are forgiven. Are you overwhelmed by the cares of the world? Jesus, look at me. The world will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Are you overwhelmed with pain? Jesus says, look at me. I took pain upon myself to set you free. Oh, don't you know, my child? You're mine. And this race is hard. But be encouraged by Moses, Noah, and David. Lay aside that weight and burden and guilt. Look at me, I'm at the finish line. Look at me, I'm with you in the race. <laughs> and be of good cheer, because the second wind is coming. In Jesus' name, amen.